All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we have been in a series uh, that we've entitled uh, A New You, and it's basically a study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is, as you know, uh, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to some new believers in the uh, city of Ephesus. And um, what has happened is that this guy named Apollos has gone to um, Ephesus. He's preached the gospel. There's these new believers. Paul writes this letter um, from prison and, and uh, basically tells them that because they have accepted Jesus Christ, because they've believed and trusted in his sacrifice for their sins, they be, have become new creations. They're new creatures in Christ. And then he begins to tell them what that looks like. What does it mean to be a new creation? What does it mean to be new in Christ? And uh, the first three chapters of the letter, the first half of the letter, is, uh, is basically doctrinal and theological. It's very full of um, theological and, and doctrinal truths that he's sort of laying as a foundation. And then the second half of the letter is very practical. It's, very, it's all practical application on how you live out this theological truth he's laid out in the first half of the letter. And so today we, are, um, we come to the part of the letter where Paul practically addresses our relationships in spite of the spiritual truth, or it, it, in light of the spiritual truths that he's laid out in the first half of the letter. In, in other words, what do your relations look like as a new creation in Christ? What does your new you relationships look like? And to properly understand uh, what he tells us as he addresses each relationship group, uh, we have to remember the uh, spiritual truth that he told us earlier that directly impacts our relationships. That Jesus leveled the playing field for everyone who believes in him. Remember we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, And this is God's plan... Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Now, for the people in the first century, this was a radically different idea than they were used to. Right? They had this hierarchy. Men had all the rights. Women had no rights. Children had absolutely no rights. Um, Paul says it this way to the Galatians. He says, there is no longer Jew, Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So whatever system of, of value the world places on relationships, regardless of the hierarchy that you're used to, regardless of the pecking order you're familiar with, as a member of God's family, everyone is equal. Living like the new you means recognizing that we are all equal and co-heirs of God's eternal riches. And as we said a few weeks ago, if you really believe that, it'll change the way that you relate to people. I mean, look around you. These are people, these are your brothers and sisters. These are people that you get to live forever with. I mean, you're surrounded by people who have an equal share in God's eternal riches. 
down the street, in churches down the street, in churches all over the world, you have an equal share with them of God's riches if they believe in Christ. Even people who, who slept in this morning and didn't come to church, if they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they and you have an equal share of God's riches, right? So taking into consideration that in Christ we are all equal, Paul begins to share with us some practical instruction on how we relate to each other, okay? So let's begin with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And further... What he's, he's, what he's talked about up to this point uh, in the last the, the, the paragraph before this, he's been talking about walking by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. Then he goes, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way that you treat them, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. All right. This is a pretty um, common passage most of us are familiar with, but it begins with verse 21, and a lot of Bible versions break it up. Like a lot of times you'll see like paragraph headings, um, not just chapter and verse um, divisions, but sometimes you'll see like chapter headings. There are some versions that separate verse 21 from the rest of this passage. But verse 21 is an integral part of this whole passage, right? It begins with, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. That's the one piece of instruction given to each and every person who's been made new and has placed their trust in Christ. So, what he's saying here is in light of the fact that we're all equal, in light of the fact that we're all equal in Christ, we are to mutually submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Nobody is excused from submitting to each other. Right? This is, this is not geared towards one particular person or one particular group. This applies to everybody. It's not like there's a bunch of people who get to be submissive and then the rest of us get to lead them, right? Um, everybody has to submit. No one gets off the hook for this. In God's family, everyone submits to one another. Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, right? And he's, he's gone into great detail in the previous chapters, verse, chapters 1 through 3, about what Christ has done for us. And so in reverence and in, in, in respect to everything Christ has done for us and the fact that he's made us all one, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for him. Now let's talk for a minute about what submission is and what it isn't. Because unfortunately submission has been used to you know, generate oppression towards um, certain groups of people, uh, specifically but not limited to women, Right? And so I want to be real clear, when he uses the word submit here, submission is not letting people walk all over you in unhealthy ways. Amen? Right? That is not what submission is. Submission does not mean that I give up my ability to make responsible decisions to someone else. Right? You, get, you still have your ability to make responsible decisions. What he's saying here, when, he's, when I submit to someone... That means I am loving them with a humble, other-focused love, right? It means I am not going to make my needs and desires the number one priority in this relationship. If I'm going to submit to someone, I'm going to place their needs and desires ahead of my own. It's, it's loving them, right? It's loving them as Christ loved us, um, now, does that mean you don't have needs and desires in the relationship? Of course not, right? But having, having, absolute, having needs and desires is absolutely fine. But placing their needs, submitting means that you love them enough to place their needs and desires above your own. You're, you're serving them. You're submitting yourself to them. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, it's saying that I want to be able to meet your needs and desires before I worry about my own, Right? And see, in the world's value system, the number one goal is each person trying to find, you know, get is each, per, each person's own happiness, right? It's, it's, it's like, if I could just get all my needs and desires met, then I would be happy. But I have never met anyone who has achieved lasting happiness in a relationship by making their own happiness the number one priority. Right? Happiness in the relationship is not the goal. Happiness in a relationship is a byproduct, and it only comes when we're putting other people first and mutually. Right? That's what he's telling us here. Mutual submission. When we can get that right, man, the relationship's awesome. Right? 
So let's look at what submitting to each other looks like in, in, in each of these individual pieces of instruction. Uh, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these because I want to get to some other things, um, the, and these are pretty straightforward. So for a married woman, this means submitting to your husbands as you would submit to the Lord. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I know that this is probably um, for some women that are least favorite passage in the Bible, right? Um, but he didn't say this for you to be in servitude to your husband, right? That's not what this is about. It's not for you to be in servitude to your husband because you're less than in some way. It's because marriage, the marriage relationship is an illustration of our relationship with Christ. The illustration between Christ and the church, right? And in that reflection, you represent the church. And the husband represents Christ. And that's why he says in the very next verse, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loves his church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So for a married man, this means sacrificially loving your wife as Christ loves the church. He didn't say, love her the way that you think she deserves to be loved. He didn't say... Love her to the capacity that you think you can love her. He said, love her just as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. What this means is that all your ambition, all your desire, all your, all, everything you want to progress toward are all good things, and God put them in your heart, but they're all secondary to her. Right? She's first above all of your own wants and desires. Now again, Paul writes these letters to these new believers in Ephesus as a letter. And so in a letter, there were no chapter and verse divisions, right? There was just a, a continuous letter. Um, chapter and verse divisions were added later when they were putting together this collection of writings to become what we know as our Bible. And the reason they put chapter and verse divisions is so people like me could say, okay, look about the fifth page of Paul's letter, about third paragraph down, you know, trying, you know, we can just say chapter and verse, right? Um, but the bad thing about chapter and verse divisions is that it's easy to lose some of the context, right? Like how many times do you read, like how many times have you like read chapter five and didn't go on to chapter six as it wasn't part of your reading, Right? <laughs> But it's all the same. It's all the same context, right? This is a perfect example. Remember, remember, what was the overarching instruction to everyone? Submit to one another, right? But does submit to one another out of reverence for Christ end between the husband and wife relationship? No. We have a lot more other relationships, right? So Paul addresses two more sets of relationships that apply to all of us and fit under this overarching instruction to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you'll see why in just a moment. So the next set of relationships is parents and children. Um, so for a child, 
This means obeying your parents. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have long life on the earth. I used to say to my kids, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. So that's true. (laughs) Um, And then, for a parent, this means disciplining your children out of love. Ephesians 4, or 6, 4. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Notice he didn't say, punish them when they screw up because they deserve it, right? No, you're submitting to your kids out of reverence for Christ means you love them enough to discipline them so that they don't ruin their lives, right? And that's honestly a sacrifice. It's so much easier just to, you know, it would be... It would have been so much easier to institute a a, a penal system in our household and punish our kids for everything they did wrong and not really train them and discipline them. Instead, we invested countless hours training them and disciplining them. There were times when we had planned to go on a date night and something happened with one of the kids that they crossed the line they shouldn't and we had to cancel all our plans because we knew that for the next three hours... We're going to be sitting down with them and talking this thing through. Um, and, and I can't count the number of times that with all of our kids, we're like, if you don't learn this lesson now when the cost is low and you become adults and do this stuff, you're not going to want to pay that cost, right? Like the cost is low right now because you punched your sister in the face. But if you punch someone in the face as an adult... That's assault. That's jail time, right? And so we wanted to train them and discipline them so that they grew up to be good people and didn't ruin their lives, right? Um, And the last set of relationships is slaves and masters. Um, But we don't have slaves and masters in our culture, so um, for us, for our sake, uh, this will sort of apply to employees and bosses, right? So for an employee, this means serving your employer as you would serve Christ. Because he's talking about doing your work as unto the Lord, right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. But then notice the instruction to the masters. It says, masters, treat your slaves the same way. Wow. How can you... That doesn't, that doesn't sort of fit in the world's way of, of, of hierarchy, right? But what that means is that for a boss, this means serving your employees as you would serve Christ. It doesn't mean that there isn't still a hierarchy in the, in the company, right? But it's part of this mutual submission thing that he's talking about. Um, and isn't it true that the worst boss you ever had were the bosses who like lorded their position over you, but the best bosses you ever had were those who leveraged their power and authority to serve and help you to do your job well? That's what he's talking about here. 
Okay, so that's sort of, that sort of lays out the individual instruction to each of these relationships. What I want to do now is point out something that um, is pretty easy to overlook if you're just kind of reading this. But there is a common thread woven throughout uh, each of these individual pieces of instruction, of, of practical instruction to each, each person, right? Did anybody catch that common thread? All right, notice. The main directive was to submit to each other out of reverence for who? Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to who? Yeah, submit to your husband as to, as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents because you belong to who? The Lord, yeah. Um, parents, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve... Mm-hmm, exactly. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you have the same master in heaven. That's the common thread. The common thread is Jesus. He is who we look to in every one of our relationships. He is who we look to in learning how to relate to each other as new creatures in Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is our frame of reference. For every other relationship, we look to him in every relationship we have. Which points us back to one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before he was arrested. At the Last Supper, just before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his followers, a new commandment I give you. To love each other as I have loved you. And why was that a new command? Because up until that point, prior to him speaking those words, the command of love for centuries, all the way back to the law, was love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And why was it love your neighbor as yourself? Because that's the best frame of reference people had. Right? During the time of the law, Jesus hadn't come yet to show us what love really looked like. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet come to pour out God's love into our hearts so that we could give it out to other people. The best frame of reference that humanity had for loving other people was how they loved themselves. Because everybody loves themselves. Right? It's kind of wired in us. But Jesus came and he gave us a new frame of reference for how we love. His love was expressed in his teaching. His love was expressed in the countless miracles of healing that he did with people. His love was expressed in the compassion he showed to the woman caught in adultery. In every interaction that Jesus had with with other people, he showed us a love that nobody had ever seen before. And then he sacrificed his life for our behalf for every human being on the planet, every human being that has ever lived and, ha- and will ever live to be the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And he tells us 
No longer is it love your neighbor as yourself. It's love your neighbor as I have loved you. You want to you know what, love, what it looks like to love others as Christ loved us? Submit to them. That's what he did to us. He was God in the flesh. And he became one of us and became a, the servant of all. Right? Love them enough to place their needs ahead of your own out of reverence for Christ. As Jesus himself said, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want to close with um, one little nugget that was kind of a revelation to me this week. Um, Yesterday morning at, at men's breakfast, I was asking the guys what, um, how they think God sees them, right? Because um, that's generally a journey for most people when they, be, when they become Christians, is how they think God sees them. Because uh, religion teaches us, you know, that God's angry and is ready to pounce on us for every mistake we make and it's a journey to sort of embrace these truths that we talked about here in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Um, and, and, we, and on top of that, we live in a rewards-based culture, right? And so everything, everything is earned, right? The, the, uh, every, every bit of favor and reward, we have to earn it, right? Uh, even in our own family of origin, the, the family we were born into where love and acceptance should be freely given, sometimes we find ourselves trying to earn love and acceptance from our parents, right? Just, and it depends on the family. Um, and whether we realize it or not, how we operate in other spheres of our life kind of translates in our relationship with God, right? Um, if you had a, a really bad relationship with your father, it's going to be difficult for you to sort of not translate some of those things into your relationship with God. Um, but scripture is very clear, right? We've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks, um, that we cannot earn God's favor. We cannot earn his love. It was freely given to us. All we did is receive it, right? All we did is believe Jesus. It was freely given, just freely lavished on us. We didn't have to do a thing to earn anything. Um, and then early on in this series, we talked about how um, we, that we have passed from death to life, right? We talked about how, how in Christ we're saved, and we asked the question, what are we saved from? We talked about all the things that we were saved from, and the biggest thing is that we were dead spiritually. And by tr- putting our trust in him, he's made us alive. He's made us these new creatures who are alive to God on the inside. Um, and then on top of that, verse or chapter 1 tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm, right? And what are those things? things? Those are things like unconditional love, right? Unlimited, unconditional love from God. Um, there's grace. There's mercy. There's forgiveness. Um, we didn't earn any of that stuff. 
right? They were freely lavished on us, and we've been given every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm when we place our trust in Christ. But even though we can't earn any of those things and, and, and they can't be taken from us, no matter how bad we mess up, um, there's still a reward system, isn't there? It shows up here in Ephesians 6. And it was kind of just a side note when Paul was addressing slaves. But, um, um, but, it's, but it's here nonetheless. Look at verse 8 of chapter 6. He's addressing the slaves. He's talking about doing your work as unto the Lord. Then he says this. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether slaves or free. Kind of interesting, isn't it? He's talked about how we can't earn anything from God. He's lavished everything on us, but there's still a reward system. God gives to us freely, but we can still earn rewards. How does that work exactly? Well, remember the parable of the talents that Jesus told when he was walking this earth? It's in Matthew 25, if you want to look there. We're going to read through this. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. This is a parable that Jesus taught. And the first part of the parable is critical. You can't miss what he says here. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by. And then he tells this story. So he's saying, this is what it's like in God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money at the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. 
Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they, will, what the, what they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus has not given us a bag of money, has he? He hasn't given us a bag of silver. He's given us something much greater. He's given us unconditional love and the ability to give that out to other people. He's given us mercy. He's shown us mercy. Oh my gosh, has he shown us mercy, right? And the ability to show mercy to other people. He's lavished on us his grace and the ability to give grace to other people. He's given us forgiveness and the ability to forgive others. He's given us a message of good news, that same good news that gave you entrance into his kingdom. And what are we supposed to do with all that? Here's the revelation I was referring to. The new life that Ephesians talks about in the first half of the letter, the new life we've been freely given is the currency to invest in others. That's the money. That's the money bag we've received. The the life we've been freely given, all these spiritual blessings, is the currency to invest in others. And what does it yield us? It yields eternal rewards. I mean, how amazing is God, right? That that he freely gives us all these things, just like the master gave his servants this that money, right? He freely gives us all these things. We didn't have to earn any of it. And all he asks is that we invest it into other people. And didn't we get to earn the rewards from it? How awesome is that? It doesn't get any better than that, guys. He freely gives it to us. All he asks is we give it to others. And it yields a reward for us that lasts for eternity. So to whom do you need to invest what God has freely given you? I tell you, the short answer is everyone. We owe everyone the debt of love, right? The short answer is we we need to invest in everyone we come across, what God has freely given to us. But maybe there are some people in, in your lives that maybe you've been withholding some of what God's freely given you. You know, for whatever reason. You know, maybe they've offended you. Or... Maybe they just get under your skin every time they open their mouth, right? Who do you need to show unconditional love to? Yeah. Who do you need to be merciful to? Who do you need to show grace to? Who do you need to share the good news of Jesus with? And we say it here all the time. 
we don't want anything what God has given us to terminate on us. And that's the picture in the story. Right? The, 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 the servant who had received the one bag of silver, he just let what the master gave him freely terminate on him. And what did, he call, what did the master call him? Wicked and lazy. I pray that that is never any of us, that we don't let anything that God freely lavishes on us to terminate on us, that it just stops right here. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for so great a salvation, for so great a relationship with you. We didn't have to earn a thing to become your children. All we had to do is accept the free gift the sacrifice of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what love really looks like. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down all your glory and power and rights as God to become a man just like us and become the ultimate servant laying down his life for each and every one of us. I thank you, God, for this practical passage of instruction here in this book of Ephesians. And I thank you even more that you weaved this common thread of Jesus throughout it all so we could see that we have to look to him in every one of our relationships just good news because we don't have to figure it out on our own. We have him. He is our frame of reference. And I pray that for each and every one of us we would look to him as our frame of reference in every relationship we have. I thank you God for these words. I thank you for your unchanging power-packed, life-filled Word of God. And I pray that each and every one of us would be the good soil that these seeds of your Word can take root in and grow and bear much fruit. Thank you, God, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.